Off the Ball Daily. A home for your favourite podcasts from Off the Ball. This was my Desert Island Discs, like, yes. you know, for years. Like, I have my Desert Island Discs there ready, and I had my five. You had to be there as ready as well. <laughs> Subscribe to the Off the Ball Daily podcast feed right now. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball. Delighted to say, Daniel Harris is with us on this morning show. Morning, Daniel. How are things? Hello, good thanks, how's it going? Thanks for your patience there. Uh, we're, we've loads to get into, I guess, with Manchester United. I'm not sure where to start, but I might just start with uh, with David De Gea. Um, end of an era at Manchester United, and I guess expected at the end of this season. He was on a, a, a serious amount of money. Um, sad for United fans all the same, and, and maybe sad the way in which it's been handled by the club. Is that fair? Uh, not really, I don't think. In that, if you look at it, He's he's had a, probably a bit longer than he should have done because the rest of the team needed so much work that he had to be something that was addressed later. And I actually think there's probably a chance that Ten Hag thought that he might give De Gea one more year and then address the goalkeeping situation next summer. <laughs> the behaviour in the running was so poor that he had to do something about it. And I don't think that he David De Gea can complain. He's not been really good for quite a long time now. And it's actually pleasing to see some ruthlessness because if you look at it from Ten Hag's point of view, he couldn't drop De Gea in his opinion last season because he still needed him. So they had to make like there was going to be a contract offer even if there wasn't because they had to get the best performances out of him that they could. Then when the performances weren't good enough, I guess the managers just had enough. And that's how top level sport is, It's it or should be. It's ruthless. And David De Gea hasn't earned Eric Ten Hag's loyalty so he didn't get it. And I don't feel particularly bad from him. The guys earned tens of millions of pounds out of whatever it is out of Man United over the years. Uh, he was good for some of that time. He was not good for some of that time. And the time has come to get someone different because the way that he keeps goal was holding the team back. And I think the frustration for me with him will always be that the things he seemed to refuse to get better at feel like things that goalkeepers can get better at, as in you can't make your reactions very much quicker, for example, and he had the greatest reactions of any goalkeeper I've ever seen by far. But surely you can get better at coming for crosses, at controlling your defence, at commanding the box, at pushing the defensive line forward, and he just refused to really do anything apart from make reaction saves on his goal line. Uh, Daniel, not to get too sentimental about multimillionaires, but is it a bit of a sad ending after 12 years? It's a social media post that David De Gea has left the club after contract negotiations end and there's no offer of a new contract. Because if you look back and throughout his whole United career, so you'll remember his debut in the Community Shield in the Manchester Derby, Eden Zeckel's shot from distance, squirmed under his body. And subsequently, Wayne Rooney's talked about, and Gary Neville said, they didn't think this guy was going to make it. He was too skinny. He was too slight. But then over the preceding decade, like the middle of the last decade under Louis van Gaal and then Jose Mourinho, like David De Gea was United's best player consistently. 2017-18, I think he had the record for the most number of saves in a game away to Arsenal. Even last season, he kept the most clean sheets in the Premier League, which is the second time he's done that. But for you, you highlighted his, his weaknesses there and his strengths. What do you think his legacy is going to be at United? Or, to put it another way, what do you think of De Gea? Um, I, I, he seems like a good guy. Um, I find, as I said, I find him a frustration. And having been good under Van Gaal, United's best player under Van Gaal, is, I don't know, Janino is taller than Danny DeVito, whatever. It's not, it's to low standard. Ah, but he said that's yeah. good. He said that to yeah, do yeah, it. Yeah, fine. Yeah, and but what 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 was he actually doing that was good? It was the same thing he's always done. Those brilliant reaction saves, a few good one-on-one saves. And it, obviously United would have been much worse off without it, but 
he wasn't as good a goalkeeper as Edwin van der Sar or Peter Schmeichel. He wasn't as reliable as van der Sar. He didn't make as many match-defining saves as Schmeichel. He didn't offer as much in an attacking sense as Schmeichel either. So I think I think that he was he seemed like a good guy. He was I tell you what I liked about De Gea mm-hmm. is that he was quite good fun to watch. And that's quite unusual for a goalkeeper. Just because the speed of his movements, the speed of his reactions were just mind-blowing. And that that's I guess what I'll remember that if we're looking talking about the good stuff is is the speed of the reactions. But in terms of overall as a goalkeeper, there were too many holes in his game. And as I said, his refusal to try and stitch up some of those holes or his apparent refusal. And I totally understand how that can happen. That if you think that for quite a number of years, he was probably the only really top level player in the team. He had no one pushing him for his place. And he was playing in the team that wasn't challenging for trophies then you can see how you might go stale in that situation, particularly if you were meant to go to Real Madrid and then because of a dodgy fax machine, you didn't. But it felt like he went stale for a bit as well. And I personally would have got rid of him in the first season of Solskjaer's manager. United were trying to get into the Champions League and he was rubbish at the end of the season and they didn't. And I guess personally, that was that was when I felt like it was time to make a change. I can understand why there was no change made because as I said, the team needed so much work that if you've got a goalkeeper who's more or less stopping the ball going in the net, then you would say, well, you can work with that. But what you mentioned about the the highest number of clean sheets, he had the highest number of clean sheets last season because in front of him he had Varane, Lissandro Martinez and Casemiro. Yeah, but not all the time. Um, enough. Of, I, I don't look back at that season and think David de Gea had a brilliant season, whereas I do look back at it and think Lissandro Martinez had a brilliant. No, season. I, I agree Shaw, with that. I agree with that. Luke Shaw had an excellent season, and the, 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 so the clean sheets is a misnomer because really it's almost it's the whole team that if the ball's down, like for Pep Guardiola's teams until this City team are a good example of that. They've always kept loads of clean sheets, conceded very few goals. It's not because the defenders and the keepers are particularly good at that; it's because you can't get the ball. So what I'm saying is that particular statistic doesn't necessarily tell you about how good the goalkeepers played. And having said all that, when that transfer to Real Madrid looked like it was going to go through until the fax machine broke or whatever happened, do you remember what your feeling was then? Were you distraught at the idea of De Gea leaving? I don't think I'd ever be distraught at the idea of a player leaving. And that players come and go and it's not... the. Uh, and I've seen much better players come and go than, than David De Gea. And also, I guess at some level, you perhaps form less attachment to goalkeepers. I'm not sure. But what United need now is, first of all, I mean, they need someone who's not going to let MP rollers as he did at West Ham and against Manchester City in the cup final. And I'm sure the cup final would have been the absolute final straw for Ten Hag. I mean, I know it was for me where I'm thinking... As a, just thinking purely as a supporter, I'd happily never clap eyes on you in the United shirt ever again for that. To, to let in a goal like that when you fought your way back into a cup final that's all, also a local derby and with the treble still on the table, that that to me, I totally understand why the goalkeeper has, why the manager has had enough of that. And it's actually about time that there was some ruthlessness and it looks like that's extending to Harry Maguire too, where you can see the kind of briefings that are coming out suggest that the pieces are being moved to get him out of the club as well. So that they, not because he's a bad person to have around, but they need the money to go do other things with it rather than just keep a fourth choice, fifth choice centre-back. Yeah, he was the last remaining player that had played for United under Alex Ferguson uh, at the club as well. Feels like that 4-0 defeat to Brentford back in August was 
a turning point in some ways for the Hayes future and the distribution of course this season uh, shot stopping was never really a concern but the distribution certainly from feet was was maybe an issue I, I know that this is a, a subjective question Daniel but where does he rank in terms of United's, United's goalkeepers I guess Schmeichel and Van der Sar were there for, for shorter periods and yet probably still still shaded for most United supporters Oh, they're miles better than him. I mean, Van, Van der Sar, it, different goalkeepers for different times, I guess. What's interesting about Schmeichel is when you watch old old United recordings back, you see that Schmeichel, I mean, I kind of remember it from the time too, but he made quite a lot of mistakes, Schmeichel. Yeah. But he just saved you on so many occasions that you would accept the mistakes. And I think that was, I guess, probably the goalkeeper United needed at that time because if you look at the first Fergie team... The, the weakness, even though they were good players, was was the defence. Parker, Bruce, Pallister, Irwin, that wasn't as high a level as Ince and Keane in front of them, say, or uh, Cantona and Hughes. And when you look at what that team's weak point was, and for all the foreigners' rule that stopped that team doing well in Europe, and also just because they'd come back into Europe and football had sneakily progressed without the English clubs, the weakness of that of that team, I would say, was 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 the was the defense. And then, if you look at the treble winning team, also, um, the weakness of that team wasn't the defense. It was a good defense. It was just the way that they attacked meant that they were staying man for man at the back. Meant that the goalkeeper had quite a lot of work to do. So I think in that team, a goalkeeper who was able to do what Schmeichel did, whilst also reinventing how teams counter attack because of how quickly he could get the ball from one end to the other, was made Schmeichel really special. And the thing with Van der Sar was Van der Sar played behind what I would say is United's greatest ever defence. And that defence, they, they, I can't remember that many brilliant games Van der Sar had or that many brilliant saves Van der Sar made. I remember one really important game against Fulham in 06-07 where without Van der Sar they lose that game. But I can't think of very many others at all. But what I also can't think of with Van der Sar is very many mistakes. And that's mm. what that particular team needed. It, when it had a def- The defence was so good and the team itself was so good that you just needed a goalkeeper who would be solid, who would control the defence, who the defenders felt confident playing in front of, and obviously who who would be able to uh, save Nicholas and Helka's penalty was also quite helpful. But just speaking more generally than that, whereas De Gea, the thing with him was we, ha- we have loads of, loads of amazing saves, but you could tell the players, the defenders, did not enjoy playing in front of him because he kept goal like a, like a table football goalkeeper. He just moved side to side on the goal line and try and stop stuff with his feet, where he would never... I remember there was a moment in the cup final where a cross comes in and it's kind of going near post and he just doesn't come. And it's six yard box territory. And in the end, uh, Varane has to get rid of it. But the goal, you could see that the players didn't like playing with him. And when we talk about the ability to play with feet, that is helpful. Um, and it's becoming more and more, more important. But um, a coach once told a friend of mine that in order for it to really make a difference, ability with feet, you've got to be as good as Edison. And very few people are. But number one, the guy who looks like he's coming in, Andrea Nunna, is that good. It's like having an extra man in the build-up. But also, De Gea's, the thing about De Gea, I think, that made the most difference wasn't the fact that he couldn't play mate from the back. It was that he, he was so deep that the rest of the team had to play 10 yards deeper that made it harder to work the ball up the pitch. And it was more, it was more that, that you generally, ideally, you're trying to condense the play. You want as little space as possible between the lines and having De Gea meant that you had to have much more space in behind than you would want and it made it much easier for opponents to put balls in behind so to 
put United under pressure and to stop United building pressure. And I think that would be the biggest difference, how high the team are able to play once it's Anana in net rather than De Gea. Concerning news about Edwin van der Sar too last Friday. Mm. About all that. The thing about uh, Peter Schmeichel is he kind of made mistakes almost look good. There was one against Barnsley, I think, at Old Trafford, 1997-98. He goes Absolutely to volley it. No. no, he goes to volley it out. It's on the bounce and he goes to volley clear it and he totally slices it. <laughs> and Barnsley score from it, but he actually nearly gets back in time to stop it. But there was something about <laughs> it, was, even his authority there. Um, Daniel, I was on, in the shops on Saturday, minding my own business, and I looked over and I saw a guy wearing a Manchester United jersey from last season with Jones number four on the back. Now, oh. I assumed it was sarcastic or bet or something. Or his name was Jones, maybe. He's another player who's gone after a long time at the club. Did you have high hopes for him? when he first came in the famous comparison with Duncan Edwards like is he very unfairly treated and maligned because of his um, unfortunate facial expressions when clearing the ball or was he actually a good player for you I mean that's just sort of football culture isn't it that people people take the piss out of each other and it's very easy to understand why that happened to Phil Jones but yeah I feel I feel sorry for him that his career worked out in the way that it did because it looked, I mean, United in the first instance, they didn't really want to sign him. They were trying to sign Varane, and Varane went to Madrid, mm-hmm. so they signed Jones instead. And he did, he did start well, but like a lot of players, him, um, him and Welbeck, I would say in particular, really suffered from Fergie retiring. But Jones obviously also suffered from injury. And whilst it's hard to feel too sorry for a multimillionaire who's won the league title playing for Man United, that's 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 not bad. I think that we'd all probably take that. The frustration, I remember I, it's something I saw Mario Berrettini was saying the other day, the tennis player, that he spent just days crying in bed because mm. he couldn't compete. And not, we, guys like us, we cannot understand the frustration that it must feel that where you've got these lads who've sacrificed their, their youth, sacrificed everything to be footballers. And yes, they are handsomely rewarded and they have fame and money and a lovely life. If you can't compete, mm. the, the the pain that you must feel, the frustration, the the threat, the way that must threaten your mental health to just like constantly be rehabbing and going into training to rehab and watching the other boys be in the other dressing room away from you and and go out to play and go through that constantly over and over again. You could understand like how that how much that must hurt. So whilst on the one hand I feel like Phil Jones did pretty well and yeah I did think he was going to be a better player than he turned out to be. He wasn't really able to be that much of a better player just because of. The, in, the constant injuries, plus all the upheaval that was going on around him at United. But the last time he played for United, he played that play one. He played last season, didn't he? And you played one game and he played well. He, he wasn't. He became a meme or a joke because of, as you say, the facial expressions and some unfortunate incidents, particularly in derbies. But yeah, Phil Jones could have could have been a good player, and he wasn't. But at the same time, he's probably had an all right shake of life at the same time. Um, Daniel, David Beckham. Brian Robson, Eric Cantona, George Best, Cristiano Ronaldo, Mason Mount, all players who have now worn the number seven jersey for Manchester United or will certainly once Mount uh, gets the season underway. What do you make of this this Mount signing and I, I guess how exactly and for whom exactly does he fit into this United team? Uh, I think he, Mason Mount's a player I guess I've always admired but never coveted. Um, managers love him because he follows instructions you know what they they know that if they tell him to do something he'll understand it and he'll do it in the right way um he feels you know, i always thought that united needed someone instead of christian eriksen because 
Ericsson's lack of physical ability, whether strength or speed or power, was hampering the ability to control games. Ericsson still be good next season. Someone you'd bring on with 20 minutes to go in games you're trying to see out and keep the ball. He's also someone you would think be good hope when against teams who are defending deep, so worse teams at home. But I would have probably gone for a different kind of player to Mason Mount because I don't want a situation where a knock to Casemiro or a suspension to Casemiro means that you're back to the same old. You don't have a player for that. And although it does seem that United are trying to sign, are trying to sell enough players to sign Sofian Amrabat a bit later in the transfer window, I think I would have gone for the best possible player I could get who could play either with Casemiro or instead of Casemiro. And for that, I would have wanted someone with a bit more physical power who was a bit more of a ball carrier. But I can totally understand that Mason Mount is someone with a good temperament who's shown he can perform in League, who can perform in big games, who is excellent at dead balls, who has a good range of passing, who can score goals, all of those things. I just think that the player that I was personally looking for would have been someone who is a bit more a bit more physical as well, and also I would I think I wonder if Mason Mount is quite good enough. As in, he's a he's a high, he's a high level player. Is he as good a player as the best players in the team? I don't think so. And I felt like United needed another team of that standard. But he's 24, and Ten Hag obviously thinks he can improve him. So I'm excited to see how he does. Who else should um, Eric Ten Hag sign this summer? Or more to the point, what position should he prioritise? Well, it, look, it looks like we've, Mason Mount's obviously been signed. It looks like Onana is going to happen. So that's the goalkeeper sorted. The centre forward situation, it, it actually feels, and I, I, I bulk at saying this a little bit. So I understand this. I'm about to make myself sound ridiculous. So well, feel free to come back to me later on if I do. But it feels like there's some actual competence being practised here in that they're going one at a time. So they identified Mason Mount. They waited until they knew that they weren't going to get a better price than the price that they had, having pretended that they were going to go away. And then they signed him. And they now appear to be doing that with Onana, that they've decided he's the goalkeeper. It feels like they're obviously going to sign him. They're just trying to make sure that they don't get rinsed over the month, over the price. And when they've signed Onana, it looks like they're going to move on and sign Hoyland, who by most accounts, they have signed up a deal for. So, they, I mean... Hoyland is a difficult one in that they want a centre-forward who's ready to go now. There aren't very many centre-forwards in world football who are ready to go now who would be worth the kind of money that you would have to pay for them. So they're trying to identify the next the next big thing. It may or may not be Hoyland. I haven't seen very much of him, but I like his movement. He's obviously extremely quick. And one of the things I like about him is also he makes is that is the, the runs in behind because... Bruno Fernandes, I think, was top of the top of the league for expected assists, but nowhere near for actual assists because he hasn't played with anyone who's able to finish well. And if you stick almost any kind of striker in that position who can hold the ball up and make runs in behind, you should get another 10 to 15 goals. And that will make a very significant difference to United. And my guess is those three will be the three that United signed to begin with. I wouldn't be surprised if they were if they were able to get Harry Kane, if they had money to get Harry Kane just for particularly that player. But otherwise, I imagine that they'll sell who they can and who they buy will then depend on that. But it looks like the physical midfielder I just talked about, they want to be Sofian Amrabat. 
and he will be the next player that gets signed once they've sold, say, Dean Henderson and Harry Maguire and Fred or whoever it is, however much they need to, however many players they need to sell to get the next player. And I would imagine after Amrabat, the next player would be a right back. And there is quite a lot of money in that squad. If you think about players who, who they don't want, Fred, um, McTominay, if they got a good price for him, they'd sell. Maguire, Van der Beek, Langer, Henderson. Henderson, they're going to get 20 million quid for. But even the other players, if you've got 5 million quid each for all of those, that's again another player. And it won't be 5 million each. So I think that United should be able, if they continue this apparent competence, to sign the player that they've made, Mason Mount, uh, Hoyland and... Um, uh, Hoyland and Onana looks like are going to happen. And then I would expect that if they sell properly, they should be able to get two more players after that. And yeah. at that point, it will be Eri Ten Hag's team. Yeah. And there'll be no excuses. Not that we've got excuses for him last season, but I don't know if we can expect a title challenge next season, but we can expect some improvement and a, definitely a title challenge the season after that. But otherwise, you, you just don't know because it, I think for United to challenge for the title next season, they'll need Hoyland to step up at another a level, a level or two. And I've no idea if he's capable of doing that. But they should be much better anyway because Garnacho is going to be much better next season. So mm. even if Hoyland needs a season to acclimatise, you're going to have Garnacho a year older on the left, which means you can play Rashford through the middle. And just in terms of having Mount, you, and Anana, you're going to have more of the ball, so you'd expect to be able to be more dynamic in attack and more unpredictable in attack than before. Yeah, we'll keep an eye on the United transfer situation. 11pm Friday, September 1st is when the deadline uh, ends. Daniel, great stuff as always. Thanks a million for joining us. See you, and see you. Bye, everyone. OTB AM. The Sports Breakfast Show from Off the Ball.